Hey guys, welcome into the Level Up Experience. This is episode number six. This was a previously recorded LinkedIn live stream. If you would like to get notifications when we are live on LinkedIn, feel free to follow me, Chris Reed, C-R-I-S-R-E-E-D. We're also on YouTube. Search for Level Up Experience, hit subscribe and the bell notification. Our guest today is Rebecca Langawa. She's a founder of Happy Warrior, advisory board member for multiple sports tech startups and chief growth officer for a creative agency in Minneapolis. We discuss how she helps brands, athletes navigate strategic introductions and personal branding, not just in traditional sports, but the esports industry as well. Thank you guys for being here. Hope you enjoy. Very cool. Well, guys, thanks for being here. I'm going to shift the floor over to Rebecca, let her tell a little bit about herself, uh, take about five or 10 minutes to give a little uh, perspective about what she's been doing. Um, really excited to have her on, Rebecca. I'm going to give you the floor. Thank you. Um, yeah, so kind of an odd duck. I've got a lot of moving parts. Um, Chris and I were, were talking a little bit about, you know, waiting for an industry to, to catch up to you. So I've been, uh, my, my background started in advertising and sports marketing, worked for an all digital agency back in the very early 2000s. And all of my clients were sports and entertainment clients, um, really on both coasts from L.A. to New York. Uh, worked really heavily with the NBA at that time. And then um, over the years kind of went went in-house with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lisa's there as their brand manager, um, which is a really cool role. It was kind of like a ping pong between sales and marketing. So really having a deep understanding of of both of those um, needs and and kind of architecting how to make things um, happen within a pro sports organization across, you know, multiple um, platforms and and multiple streams of um, of content. Um, and then when I left the Wolves is when I kind of started Happy Warrior, which really was just like a way to freelance and a way to um, build a brand around um, a consulting role. I started working with athletes on their personal brand camps and clinics. Um, branding, merchandise, um, really anything that they were wanting to um, own within their own entity and away from a team, I was helping navigate for them. And then I produced a show um, locally here, kind of like as a field producer talent um, manager for um, Jesse Ventura, who was our governor and former pro wrestler here, uh, called Off the Grid. So it was kind of you know, after he had left Conspiracy Theory, Larry King had left CNN and started this online or a TV kind of online television show. Um, and Jesse being here in Minnesota, um, we worked out of a studio together um, over about two years, just once a week, um, six months a year for two years on, on producing that show and doing his podcast, We the People. So that was really um a really interesting time working with uh, a lot of different agencies, producing film shoots, photo shoots, working with corporate brands on their marketing strategy, special projects, curating a ton of events, um, really just using the depth of what I learned working in an agency and working for a sports team and the variety of, of the executional elements and just kind of cherry picking them specifically for, for clients that had uh, unique, unique needs. Um, and then started working with um, a financial firm that was building out there here in Minneapolis, um, building out uh, an entire 
strategy for wealth advice specific to professional athletes. And they, um, they're really the best of the best when it comes with working with pro athletes. So I worked with them on building out their the personal brand of the wealth management firm, new business initiatives for each of their advisors, manage a ton of events, um, outreach for prospects and, and clients. Um, currently, I am working with a creative agency in Minneapolis called Electric. Um, as their chief growth officer. So I'm the face of the agency meeting with people all over, helping them find um, solutions for whatever marketing and and uh, digital gaps that they have and uh, working as an advisor to a number of sports technology and esports startups and three investment funds, one in the UK, one in Canada, and then here in the US. Um, so they're VC companies that all invest in early stage sports technology and esports startups. And I work with them to evaluate startups for investment and then mentor those startups as well. So that's that's the background of um, kind of where um, where I am and what led me to be here. So I don't know if that was eight minutes, but it's a lot. Yeah, that's good. No, that I tell you what, that it's a really interesting um, adventure. I would say would that be a fair word to kind of uh, explain yeah. the journey? Yeah, uh, it's, it is an adventure. I think it's just being kind of open to what's happening in innovation and responding um, accordingly. Um, also, I am somebody who takes a lot of risk. So if something sounds really cool, I just want to uh, want to do epic shit. So if something is like, sounds like it's really cool and it is a challenge and I feel like it's innovative, uh, if it's capturing my attention, if I want to learn more, then I'm going to spend time there. So um, things have really happened organically, but really the three marked areas within my path, you know, my, my actual, you know, career path, advertising, sports marketing, finance, the three of them is, are all melded together to best serve my clients in in esports and in sports technology. Um, you you have to have a balance of all three of those disciplines in order to um, really for for me to be successful for my clients. I really appreciate you sharing that. So here's what I want to dive into first is you you just said esports and sports kind of within the same breath mm-hmm. and, and you know how there's separate sometimes there's separation there's the, the familiarity with the two. Talk a little bit about your journey specific to when esports became a part of what you were doing in business. Yeah, it was. Um, so there's a there's a guy here in town in um, Minneapolis who is um, he's an Overwatch player. He's uh, he owns an advertising agency called Superhuman. His name's Van Horgan. He's a, just a total. He's just a genius. But he loves. He he's been playing Overwatch for years and years. And I was working with him um, like four years ago. He was talking to me about an idea that he had for a startup around Overwatch. Um, and so we were, you know, having these conversations. And esports was not on my radar at all. This was just a, a true passionate gamer who had a startup idea. Um, he owns a really successful advertising agency. But this was a passion of his. So we started having these conversations and I began doing research. At the time, I was also just starting as an advisor with Stadia Ventures based out of St. Louis. And and now they've got a a Dallas branch. But I was I was pretty new to 
being um, a subject matter expert advisor kind of judge for them. Um, so I'm doing all of this esports research. I go to a Stadia pitch event and um, one of the companies that were pitching to us that kind of made it through all of the rounds and were able to pitch live was an esports company. And I had just finished doing all of this esports research and um, I felt like it was really compelling. Stadia at the time was only focused on sports technology and entertainment. So I kind of raised my hand and I wanted to speak to the to the industry a little bit like, hey, I've been doing research on esports and this is like a really viable market. And here's the money that's being predicted over the next three years. Like, I think I think we should really kind of take a look at this. And then um, and I wasn't the only one. Obviously, it wasn't like I like created esports for Stadia. I'm not saying that there were other people who were like, yeah, esports is a thing. So um, so then, you know, you fly home. And in the meantime, Stadia, the engine of Stadia keeps chugging away and they uh, really start doing due diligence on the space and decided to make concerted effort to go after esports um, investment. So um, it was just something I was really passionate about when I first started um, doing research because Van had kind of opened my eyes to this. Um, I kind of didn't stop. I mean, I got onto Synopsis Sports and Synopsis Esports, Esports Observer, um, started connecting with people in the space, reached out to Wim Stocks of Collegiate Star League and World Gaming. And I was like, hey, can I just be an annoying fly in your ear for an hour on a call? Can you like educate me on what is this Overwatch trend and what's happening? And is there room for this in the Twin Cities market? Because at that time, no one in this market, no one in the Twin Cities other than this Van, than Van Horgan at Superhuman had even talked to me at all or was mentioning anything about um, esports. And then I was at a networking event um, at, at a at a you know a, a, like a rooftop bar downtown, and all of a sudden I'm talking to these sports and entertainment attorneys from Stinson, and they were literally focused on sports betting and esports and traditional sports. So I'm like nerding out having conversations. I mean, it was so cool. Um, and one of the gentlemen that was with them, Jason Tricano was starting a company called Elevar Gaming and um, doing events in casinos, doing amateur esports tournaments. So it was just like a little bit of a slow build of finding your people, finding other people who are excited about the industry um, and being willing to take time out of a traditional, you know, 40 to 50 hour week to um, research the industry, stay on top of what's happening. I mean, I remember getting excited when some non-endemic brands were just starting to get involved um, and, and reading about it. And then now it's like every day there's another brand, there's another brand, there's another brand that's kind of attaching themselves to the industry. So it's been, it's been exciting to, um, it's happened a hundred percent organically. I, I wasn't like, I'm going to do esports. It just, um, it lends very, very well from sports technology and esports, and a lot of companies that I see have a tremendous amount of crossover that they hadn't even thought of when they came up with a, a platform or a product that it can be easily then transferred into um, into esports. And it's you mentioned something uh, I, we mentioned this quite a bit on stream and conversations I've had um, with individuals and just in companies. 
but it's building relationships. I mean, I feel, and even maybe to this day, now this was 2017, as you're mentioning, maybe three years ago or so, mm-hmm. maybe, right? But even in 2020, I, I still think that that's, that's number one right now across the board. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah. that's in my I, mean I think curating relationships and being open to relationships I actually have like an article on my LinkedIn about like the power of, of relationships and why it's important to let someone pick your brain or to sit down and have an informational coffee with someone um, that needs mentorship. Um, I think there's huge value in that. And I would say like also learning. If you're not learning, you're not living. There's really no no point to just be. Um, when I worked at the at the Timberwolves, I took a, a index card and I wrote fear complacency on it and I like stuck it on, on my wall <laughs> because um, that is to me, it's like the kiss of death in any type of a job. So when you when you are working for an entity and you have like a, a job where you're like at a desk every day and you're working with people to just do what's required and become complacent, like you're never going to be the best even for the organization that you're in. It is all about moving the needle forward. I think especially in esports because it's so new, everyone has been so collaborative in this community because Many of us, most, I'd say 90% of everyone I've encountered that is involved in the industry in some capacity wants to move the needle forward on esports. They want to see it succeed. They want it to go mainstream. They, they are hungry for people to believe in um, the thing that they're passionate about, right? Like the Simon Sinek, you know, being around people who believe in what you believe in and, and sharing things from that, from that belief standpoint. Um, that is what's so really cool and powerful about the community. And I think it goes all the way down into the culture of even the gamers and, and players. I have a 13 year old son who has a great online community where he had been bullied for years at school. It's different. And um, I remember the first time I took him to a coding camp, he was nine and a half and he did a summer camp for Minecraft modifications uh, he was, he's nine years old and he gets in the car and he like lays his head back. And I don't know what I'm going to expect from him. If it was a bad day, if it was a good day. And he looks at me and he puts this big smile on his face. And he was like, mom, I found my people. And I mean, I think that's just what the whole community is from the young kids that are getting into gaming and starting out with a Fortnite or a Minecraft all the way up to these pros that are absolutely sophisticated, um, uh, you know, great business acumen, uh, extremely professional, um, engaged with a few of them here now that, you know, Minnesota's kind of getting to be more um, mainstream with the Call of Duty team this first year and hosting the the, the opening, um, the the league event that's happening here in a couple of weeks. Um, the gentlemen that I've met that are playing on that team are just, they're awesome. You know, they're just so warm and welcoming and open and uh what you would what you would hope an athlete would be you know which you don't always get with traditional sports so it's been really cool to kind of get to know those guys a bit too something you mentioned um was you know for me we talked about with this with you kind of off air obviously um but gaming gave me confidence as a kid Mm -hmm. i'm 33 and that was one of the first things i was good at I've actually had this conversation with a few people um, in our few podcasts and stuff like that's what gave me confidence early. Yeah. When I was six. Mm-hmm. When I could beat a world in Super Mario world or whatever game F zero, 
old school, raise your hands. You know, you know, when you finally did that, like that's your, like you did something. Right. You failed, you failed, you failed, and you finally did it. That has translated to everything I have done the rest of my life. I am so passionate about this. But then back, even back then and now, even now it's, you know, it's gone away a little bit. You know, the bullying you mentioned, things like that. Oh, they're, they play games and, you know, and going after kids and stuff. And that was, you know, that's slowly, you know, there's initiatives out there. They're doing a great job of the culture shifting. Obviously, it's not like it used to be, but it gave me confidence. And people yeah. would shake their head like, yeah, that's that's correct. Like, you know, that's what happens. So that's just we want to foster those those relationships and those experiences. Um, and this is how we're going to build the industry together. Right. And, you know, that passion, you know, I was kind of showing there, like we all got to have that passion that's pushing it forward, I think, like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it's just something I think about, I think about quite a bit. So re- real quick, I do want to make sure we get to questions in chat. So we always want to make sure to take a quick um, look at what's going on. So, you know, we have to have multiple devices going to see what's going on on chat. So let me jump in here real quick. So if you have questions, let me just throw this out there real quick. And I did post it in chat as well. But if you are a startup, like this is the, this is now the time to ask questions right now. Like you've got about, you know, 30 minutes here. Uh, Rebecca's got some really interesting experiences with startups as an advisor, which we can mention that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you're a startup and you have questions about branding and things like that, like right now, is that what she just said? Just step out, right? Put yourself out there, ask questions. Like that's how you grow. Um, the other thing I mentioned is you, you have to you grow on the edges. It's kind of a saying. You grow on the edges to push yourself, you know. And you're doing that in business, you know, just in general when you're growing. But in esports, you're already on the you're already on the ledge as it is. If you say you're in esports, you're already on the ledge. So you're going over like two ledges. <laughs> you say your esports so that was something i was kind of thinking about um as you said that earlier so let's go with a question christopher allen what's going on so chris has a question for rebecca is it possible to create a business or esports company and brand without putting up any of your capital and if it is possible what's the best way to grow the brand and company it's a great question um, you know, i guess it depends on what the company is if you want to build out an esports platform then and unless you are an extremely talented developer and, and you know, data scientist and you can build the entire back end yourself, then you don't need to go after funding. You can just start building it. Um, a lot of successful startups that I've worked with were completely bootstrapped, um, working full time jobs, um, you know, finding partners that could do what they can't do. And that's really important is to find a trusted partner that does something completely different from what you do, whether they've got great business acumen and relationships and they're very salesy and you're the, the engineer, the data scientist or the developer and you can build something out. Um, you could create an entertainment company in esports without putting up much revenue. I mean, you'd want a, a logo, you'd want to file an LLC with a secretary of the state, um, but you know, very minimal branding and then um, and then it's your time to plan, curate an event, talk to people who will come and, and maybe it's a speaking panel and they're going to come and speak on it for free. And you bring a network of businesses in to attend and you sell tickets on Eventbrite and you find, you know, maybe a, a wealth manager or an insurance agency or another entity that just wants to be in front of a bunch of people. Like they are just like clamoring to get in front of new people. Um, you have them sponsor the event. Now you've got, you know, 
$10,000, maybe you spent 2000 on the event and you now made a little bit of money and then you just grow, you can grow from there. So it really depends on what your vision is. Um, I have a friend who started a, a merchandise company with a $300 investment. He made some really kick-ass t-shirts. He sold them at a trade show. He sold out of them. Um, from there, he was able to reinvest all of that money. And um, now he has a super successful uh, clothing brand out of St. Paul, Minnesota called Unreal. And they're killing it. I mean, they're, they're doing a ton with hockey. They have, you know, they don't even need to um, spend a ton on marketing. Um, they do a lot in-house. They have really talented staff. They've been able to, to have dual roles to push out really beautiful content. They have a little studio right within their warehouse that they're shooting on a backdrop. Um, there's, you know, there's always a way to be nimble and to, and to build from scratch. I built my consultancy company from scratch. I invested in a really great friend of mine who builds brands to do um, a logo identity for me. I had a summer intern who built my website. Um, thanks, Brett. So there's, there's ways to get things done and there's, Individuals like myself that are open and collaborative, you just reach out to people and ask um, for kind of the roadmap based on based on what it is that you're wanting to accomplish. So and, hopefully I answered your question. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, that was that was awesome. That was it's like so many points. My brain's like going through all those points. But one of the words that came to mind was ask. You have to ask. And what's awesome here's the thing with these, as you mentioned earlier with, with the industry, mm -hmm. it was so collaborative. Right. It's such a collaborative environment. And like, what's the worst thing somebody's going to say? Like, no, or I don't have time. Okay, next. Like, you can't take rejection personally because most of the time they're not rejecting you. They just really don't have the capacity um, or, they, or they're not the right person to help solve your problem. And people come to me and I'm like, oof, gosh, I'm like not probably the person who can solve your problem. But I know somebody that I should connect you with. And um it's just taking the time to, to pull the trigger on it. You know, it does. It takes a lot of time and energy to to do what I do for other people. Um, but I do it because it makes everybody better. And I know that it always eventually will come back around. You know, um, I might not I might help somebody out. They might never become a client of mine, but they can have a conversation two years from now and refer business to me, um, which would be wonderful. You know, so it's just finding the people that are, are willing and not letting a no kind of make, stop you. The other thing to that, so Chris was asking that question about getting that startup off the ground without capital and we, that we've actually dove into this uh, a couple of times on, on the stream, but it's, you have to put yourself out there. And if you, but if you don't do that, no one knows you're even doing it. Right. So yeah. There, Therefore, content, as we say, and, and you're, you're you might be the one person that's like more of a proponent than I am about content, but it, it's that important. Is are, that, that mm -hmm. is DNA, and it's not going to stop. It's just going to get it's going to get elevated as we go along 2025 and on. It doesn't I mean, 10 years from now, it's still going to be a big deal. Yeah. So it is you have to put yourself out there. And that's how people notice you by making the content. Yeah. Understanding how to post in the contextual nature of the post on LinkedIn versus Twitter is not the same. We've talked about that. You know. And if you really want to be a founder, like if you're really passionate about creating a company, um, work your nine to five and then go work a five to nine. 
I mean, you're going to have to go do your job. Don't quit your job and just think you're going to dive right in and be successful. It takes a lot of time to curate relationships and your story and, and sell that in. I mean, a traditional sales cycle is like six months. So you have to really give yourself time and be revenue positive. Everything you're making should go right back into growing your business before you pay yourself anything. So keep your nine to five. If you're really passionate. You go home and you work until nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. And you say, you know, I'm going to take a day to rest on a weekend, but I'm going to work maybe a four or five hour day on Saturday. And I'm going to just, you know, you if you want to crush it, you're going to have to crush it. And there's sacrifices that you need to make. It's not exchanging. It's not a one for one. It's not exchanging your job to just have a startup. Um, you're going to want to make sure that you are um, living intentionally also, if that means you're in a one bedroom apartment and you're a single guy or a single girl and you can move into a studio means, you know, instead of going out um, to the clubs with your friends, if, if you don't have friends that are willing to come over uh, and, and drink Jack and Coke and watch movies with you or just like hang out, play board games and they're not friends, right? Like um, finding like-minded people who are also trying to do big things and creating like um, I'm part of a group that, um, I've curated in the Twin Cities. There's five of us. We're all women. We range from 24 years old to early 50s. We're all entrepreneurs. We have a group text going. We invite each other to events. We support each other at our own curated events. Um, I mean, one is a model. One's a, a, a host, uh, on-field host for, for the Vikings and the FC United. One owns a bridal company. There's myself. And one's a publicist for chefs. Like we're all over the place. Find people that are like hungry and wanting to learn and want to grow business and make that your tribe of people that you're going to be around. That's like the best way to become successful because then you're not deterred into spending a bunch of money. You can kind of create a cushion um, because when you do make the leap, your business could be going really well. Your side hustle could be going really well. But when you make that leap, you want to have a really good cushion so that you're, you know, eliminating um, a certain amount of risk that is associated with with being a business owner. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of really successful startups that didn't have to go after big money. They didn't have to give a percentage of their brand away. Um, it's just the pace in which you need to grow and the problem that you're trying to solve. If it's a problem you're trying to solve that somebody's going to beat you to it, and it's a really, really good idea, then you might want to you know, talk to some VC funds or talk to some equity partners on on um, walking you through that journey and taking a percentage of it. Yes, and Chris said that really helps. So appreciate that answer. Um, the one thing I'll pull from that again is cutting your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You mean you mentioned it? If you can, it's about your expenses. You're, yeah. Here's the thing. You know, people look at like, oh, here's my business, but then they don't even look at their personal side. Yep. And that's actually interesting because that's not talked about very much. I don't hear it talked about very much. The, the financial literacy on the personal side as an entrepreneur, that is not talked about enough. Everyone's talking about the business, this, and then business numbers. Well, if your personal finances is a wreck, guess what? Your business is a wreck. Right. I 100% believe in that because you can't separate the two. No. You know, and you made a great point on that. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I think that's really. Well, I mean, it comes down to behavioral spending. Like, Goodwill blazer, grandma's pin. Like this was my grandma's brooch. My mom <laughs> gave me after she passed away, gave me a bunch of jewelry, my grandma's. I'm like, eh, whatever, I'm gonna wear my grandma's brooch. I'm literally 
by like 90% of my blazers come from Goodwill. I love like great texture quality, um, like 70s, 80s. I think the brand of this is like Country Shop or something. It's like some... It's awesome. It's 100% wool and it's camel and it like, I mean, I could go buy a $250 one from, you know, like Ralph Lauren or I can find one for $8.99 at the Goodwill. So but everyone's talking about their business P&L. You better do your personal P&L. Mm-hmm. Behavioral spending, like behavioral spending, behavioral spending, behavioral spending. Like I'm constantly putting myself on check of like wants versus needs and feeling like you um, are rewarding yourself for some, like it's, it is a constant, I'm, I'm never, I'm never perfect at it. Right. And I have kids. So sure. Sure. There's that, um, that pressure. Um, but I have, I have got two founders of a startup that I advise for that are flying into Minneapolis for meetings. They're staying at my house, like instead of an Airbnb. Um, That's cool. Cause I have room for them and um, it just makes sense. I didn't even know if they were being honest when they were asking me, I thought they were being funny. They're like, no, no, really like me. <laughs> <laughs> but they asked, right? I mean, we go back to asking, I mean, seriously. Yeah, little, me and it's little decisions like that, that change the trajectory of mm-hmm. your personal and business finances. Right. It's little decisions like that. So it's just really important. So it's good uh, because we will be able to spend marked time together at my kitchen table and really make uh, an impact on um, where they're going for, you know, their, their marketing strategy. You know, they don't have the funds to do a robust marketing strategy right now, like to, to actually um, apply all of those things, but we can start planning now and forecasting and know what we're going to need um, moving forward to, to be able to spend those dollars on media or, print or merch um, and, and actually the, you know, the actual brand execution. So. All right. Gilad has a question. How's it going, man? Appreciate you posting the question in chat. Um, says I'm pretty much the only one in Israel that uses gaming as a learning platform. I'm on the brink of getting the first big client with my team. How do I develop our brand to highlight the innovation aspect of using actual games and learning? Like I'm the only one, both a good and bad thing. Okay. Well, I think, you know, utilizing games and learning has been happening for a a long time. Um, So I don't think it's a totally new story. You can probably pull some learnings from that. I mean, in fourth grade, I I learned math playing um, number munchers on like an Apple one. (laughs) Um, That also ages me. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they call it like edutainment, edutainment. being able to share stories is the best way to get your message across. So are there marked results in that you can prove out? Is there a story you can tell about how someone has utilized what you're building um, towards enter- towards education and what did they learn? Um, sharing stories like that, almost like profiles or testimonials could be really powerful. Um, also, um, just because you're the only one there that's doing that, um, there's other companies that are that are doing this in, in other countries. So I would try to find a like-minded company, and I wouldn't I wouldn't steal their communication strategy, but I would learn from it, and I would maybe pull some key takeaways. Um, start taking some notes on um, what you admire about their communication style and how they're getting that message across. Here in the U.S., 
Obviously, STEM, which is um, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, is major. Um, and esports is STEM. Esports is absolutely STEM. So being able to start having those types of conversations about the educational benefits of playing video games and how that can go towards um, a future career or just really, you know, doing a strategy game helps in critical thinking. Um, tie those, those thoughts together, um, prove some things out, pull some data, other research that other people have done on STEM and the benefits of STEM, the benefits of educational gaming, and um, put those, sprinkle them through your pitch deck, sprinkle them through your website and the way you're communicating with your clients to have some um, real some real data. And I don't know if Nielsen has any esports data around education, but I know that they do have an esports um, dedicated resource within Nielsen now on um, pulling on pulling stats and data. Yeah, one thing I would add to that, uh, you talk about website things like that. Starting a Discord, Gilad. I mean, starting a Discord and building that organic community through there, one person at a time, one relationship through that Discord. That honestly, that's a that's a great place to start. If you don't have one already, you may you may have, you may have one. But obviously, uh, Discord is a great way. You know, within three clicks to have a community set platform there to go, and then you bring people that it, that want to come alongside you that have this same passion. A lot of people have that passion about yep. learning through gaming. So you know, a, a lot. So, but they got to know that you're actually doing it. So mm -hmm. making the content, putting that out there, contextual to platforms like on LinkedIn, TikTok, things like that, mm -hmm. but also having your home base for a, a virtual community, you know, essentially a community online. Right. So, and I think there's two things. I think the biggest umbrella to focus on is, um, is, is education within gaming as a whole. But then you want to really dive into the granular level that you can prove out of your specific game and how you are educating what are those tangible marked results that you've gotten specifically to your game that you can that you can share to prove out your concept yeah so hopefully that helped yeah thank you thanks for the question appreciate that really appreciate that uh so here's a question for you rebecca talk a little bit about um your role as an esports advisor because i think that term gets thrown around and you know, everyone has um, you know, a different situation of how they work with startups and how they work with companies in the esports space. So if you could frame that a little bit, that'd be interesting. Yeah, so it's really coming on, um, on two ends. One end being the actual investors themselves, whether it's an independent investor, um, which a couple of independent investors have reached out to me saying, hey, would you spend some time telling me a little bit about esports? I'm hearing all these things. Where should I be? Should I be investing in this? Where should I put my money? Um, but then, you know, there's VC funds that I am um, involved in as an advisor or mentor, um, sometimes both. And with the investment firms, Usually what happens is you get um, there's an application window for an accelerator program and you get maybe three, four hundred um, startups that apply towards that. We divide those into groups. We have um, we have about 100. I'll use Stadia Ventures as as an example. So we've got 150 um, subject matter experts that come together twice a year. So before we actually listen to 10 companies pitch to us live, we are, some of us are assigned a group of startups that we look through. And um, it's kind of like a vetting process. And it, 
you know, it dwindles down from say there's 400 and then there's maybe a hundred that we're taking a serious look at. And then there's 20 and then there's 10 and the 10 pitch live. And um, usually, you know, three or four, four or five are selected to get um, a certain amount of, of investment, but really the biggest advantage is access to the subject matter experts that are from pro sports teams, um, tech companies, um, some traditional um, brands that their CMO or their CEOs are, are there just really strong um, business leaders uh, throughout, throughout the world are coming together. And then the opportunity to really get your idea in front of a large amount of investors um, so I serve as I've served as a judge, I've served as an advisor and I've served as a mentor. So it's all kind of different levels of time commitment. Um, everyone volunteers to be um, it kind of uh, embedded within that kind of an ecosystem media because um, you also are for me, it's a business advantage too. I mean, I'm, I'm learning all the time from people who are way smarter than me. I think a lot of people in the room are like, I'm literally like not the smartest person in this room. Clearly I'm not the smartest person here. Like there's so many people that are like beyond um, successful. So you learn from people, you, you start developing really great networking relationships and business relationships. So that's on the investment side. When it comes to startups that are reaching out to me, um, they usually have one of two things. They either are like, Hey, will you look at my deck? Is it garbage? What should I do differently? Um, and I will help them, you know, kind of, I'll say if I'm sitting down with a startup, I, I will literally have them bring their deck and print it out and I will like reorder it and I'll throw pages away and I'll write on the back of things like add a page that does this, or you need a board of advisors. Like you need to have subject matter experts on your board of advisors to give you legitimacy. So um, I kind of have what I think is like the perfect pattern of a pitch deck when you're going after investment. So I make sure that they're kind of kind of checking off all those boxes and that the flow is really good and the look and feel is good. Um, I will give them advice on how they can, um, you know, make it look better branding wise. Um, I try to steer very, very early before you've gone after any funding. I really steer them away from trying to like give somebody $10,000 or something to build something out for them. Like there's so many tools you can use. You can use Canva. You can use 99designs. Like be smart about it. You need a real phased approach. Um, so a lot of times it's the branding. They really want some guidance and some help there um, early on. Having something that is polished is absolutely instrumental or goes straight in the garbage if anybody looks at it. Like they just won't pay attention to it unless it's, it's um it's complete and concise and polished. The second thing they're coming to me for is they just want like an in with investors. So um, I'm extremely picky about any type of startup that I see that I'm going to pass along to um, to a third party, whether it's an investor or a VC fund. Um, it's got to be really, um, it has to be a really good idea that, um, that I haven't seen before, you know, or, or maybe I've seen the idea and it just wasn't the right team or the founder wasn't um, the right founder. So um, that's the second. And and there's a handful of those that I've believed so strongly in that I'm on their board of advisors. I'm an actual advisor for that startup and I help them make strategic connections, connecting them to brands when they're ready to go to market. Um, I'm working with a company right now um, on 
completely redoing their website, their communication strategy. You know, they started in one space, more of service model. Now they're more of a product model. So that's where my team, my, my creative agency side is able to, you know, lend, but it has to be the right time. I mean, it has to be revenue positive. They have to have a dedicated sales team and, um, you don't want to burn through marketing dollars before it makes sense. Also, it could be a big turnoff for investors to see that you're spending, if you're spending a lot of money um, in one bucket and it doesn't build out the engine that you're trying to build, if it doesn't build that platform, if it doesn't build that, that product, um, then that's going to be a red flag for investors. So kind of understanding how to spend and when to spend is, is integral. Right. As a as an advisor on a number of boards myself, it's about, you know, content strategy because that's a that's a big gap right now. And just because everything's moving so fast. I mean, yeah. I, right, you know, you know, TikTok and LinkedIn, not everything's moving so fast, you know, the algorithm's changing and this is changing mm -hmm. and whatnot. But it's keeping up with that and making sure you're on brand and um and what that even looks like and what that even means. Right. Um, also, like you mentioned that here's the thing with as an advisor you know my job is relationships we mentioned that that you're you're a one strategic partnership away from a startup making it like i truly believe that now it wouldn't be overnight you know once it happens but if you get a, if you get something that really comes together two companies and here's what's interesting to me i know you've run into this, into this as well if you're advising for multiple companies a lot of times they fit together yeah it's like they finish each other's sentences with their mission statement. And it is really cool to see that because you, and then as you're as an advisor for both companies, you hear what they're saying. It's just like, everything comes together so perfect. So that is your job. I feel as an advisor on a board is to bring others together. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, recognizing gaps, I'm just like, I am able to find gaps and then how are they going to be filled? Um, I think the biggest gap that I see repetitively is, the communication strategy never evolved from an investment strategy to a go-to-market strategy. So in saying that is the communication style is very skewed towards explaining how something works um, to investors, which investors need to know how it works and what it does. But your client, the end person you're selling to, they want to know why does it matter to them personally? Um, will it make, will it cut hours off their day? Will it make them, Will it, will it get them a raise? Will it help them climb the ladder in their company? Um, is, is it going to decrease the, um, the amount of time it would take one of their customers to purchase something? Does it, um, does it decrease that, that cycle for them? Mm -hmm. um, will they make money? How will what they're buying from you make them money or get them a raise or get them a promotion? That's really... How are you going to communicate what you're doing to that person? Because a person, even if you're a B2B startup, there's a person that needs to make the decision that's going to help you move forward. So your communication strategy needs to be positioned in a way that, first of all, they understand it. Second of all, they can articulate it to their boss so that they can sell it in. And that really puts them at the center of being the hero. Like you are making someone else the hero with what you're building out whether it's an event or a platform. Um, I see a lot of things that were um, being developed 10 years ago in pro sports now being absolutely necessary in esports. Um, when you think about um, the, the getting into events and ticketing at events and 
um, scouting for talent and, and building out robust um, content engines. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And if, if you can apply some of those learnings and traditional sports and things that worked, the, these are like the infrastructural sub layers. That's where any player, any game, any streamer, any, any uh, publisher, all those things can ebb and flow on top of a really solid um, enterprise level platform. Those are things that investors are really going after right now. They want they want more of it um, and that have high amount of adoptability because they have um, a multitude of, of customers. Um, anything that is focused towards amateur gamers right now, I think is really hot. You can create something that brings that community together. That's absolutely wonderful because there's a lot more amateur gamers than there are pro gamers. Um, that goes back to learnings from traditional sports. If you're creating something just for the elite athlete um, and it doesn't have the ability to be adopted to any novice athlete, any amateur intramural basketball player uh, or youth sports, then uh, you only have so much revenue that you're going to be able to track in, in the future. So um, when you're thinking and brainstorming startup ideas, uh, if you're a you know platform developer, backend coder, and you're passionate about the space, get into that space and start having conversations with the esports community and figure out you know what's missing here from a traditional experience that I'm used to having, um, and then how can I build it out that's authentic to this audience because the esports community, the gaming community, is extremely different um, than a traditional. Uh, sports fan. Uh, they're, they're just totally two different mindsets of people. There's some crossover, obviously, but um, the gaming community is, um, they're living their lives in a totally different way than a traditional sports um, enthusiast is, is living their, their life out and they're, they're, they're not engaged at the level in which a gamer is engaged with, um, with the game that they play versus just being a fan that's you know, watching during the NFL season or the NHL season or the NBA season. Um, it's kind of, it doesn't really stop. Um, right. so. Uh, there, so I had a question kind of come up in my own mind. Uh, and also this a pain point with startups. Talk about the relationship and kind of strategy around working with sponsors because, you know, that conversation gets kind of, it gets very clouded because of the education gap, I think. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that for the esports pain point? <laughs> I'm gonna sound like an old curmudgeon for a second. The the biggest issue that's happening right now, like when I see it coming through in pitch decks, is um, a esports startup bringing an idea and trying to sell it in using data about esports as a whole. Um, so this is typically what I what's happening um, is. Uh, an esports say it's say it's a content company. It's an esports content company, and they have maybe eleven hundred uh, followers on their Twitch channel. Um, but they're trying to do events and they're trying to be a thing. Um, to go into a corporate potential corporate sponsor to sponsor an event that they're going to host um, and talk about esports as a billion dollar industry and. Um, overall esports demographics and, um, you know, how many men and how many women are gaming and all of these blanketed esports 101 stats in your deck is irresponsible. 
it's absolutely irresponsible and it hurts the overall industry. Um, it would be like a salesperson from the Minnesota Timberwolves to go into a potential sponsor and talking about sports being a you know $487 billion global industry that has literally nothing to do with the Minnesota Timberwolves and what you have to offer to a sponsor. You have to be 100% authentic and transparent about your company, what you have to value, who is your demographic, who are you engaging with, who's paying attention to your brand, and being honest with sponsors about that. Because what's starting to happen in the industry is Sponsors are glass-eyed over the overall esports stats. They go in on something a little bit blindly and a little bit naive, and then they are sorely disappointed, and it turns them off to a legitimate esports business idea. So um, that's me being a mom, because I am a mom, so I'm mothering everybody, about being transparent. You can talk about the industry as a whole, but you better very, very quickly get authentic and real and transparent about what you have, what your trajectory is, how long have you been in existence, who's really taking a look at your organization. Um, and when you can get there, that's where you're really gonna find true solid opportunities, whether you are engaging with 20,000 people or 200,000 people, um, really understanding who your audience is, who's engaging, and then what are the brands that make the most sense? Um, and being really um, willing, you know, if you look at youth soccer, they have like Joe's ribs, uh, ribs and barbecue sponsoring their jersey. You don't have to go after Jack Links. You can go after the local meat shop and you can start slowly building out a brand because one thing is sponsors are attracted to things that, Someone else has already taken a risk on. So who can you get to to kind of gravitate towards your brand? Maybe it's a family member even. Maybe it's your your aunt's business. Maybe maybe she has an insurance agency and she's willing to sponsor your esports startup, your your gaming club and and put her her logo on your jerseys, right? And and give and pay for them to be produced. Now you can start talking about um who your, who your brands are that are aligning with you. Um, probably a lot of learning from pageant girls, right? I mean, there's a lot of legwork going into companies, going into um, finding in-kind sponsorship. Um, not a pageant girl, but I've always totally appreciated them, like getting free tanning, getting their hair done, going and getting their lashes done for free. I mean, they're doing this legwork and they're selling themselves. If you're an esports, especially if you're an esports club or you're an esports, you're trying to build your own esports team um, in your little local community, get into your local community and, and share what you do and have them start sponsoring you. You know, microfinancing things is is definitely relevant. Um, and then give them they give them props and give them a shout out. Um, I think that could be definitely something that. Um, you could focus on, you have to start small, you have to start within your community and then begin to branch out. And I know, Chris, you mentioned a lot about, you know, the platforms that are really relevant, the TikToks, the Discord channels, being active on Reddit, uh, Twitch, obviously. Um, how can you find a brand that resonates with the audiences within each of those platforms and sell them the idea that they're going to get in front of those people? Um, there's a large demographic of gamers that 
have driver's licenses. So go into a local car insurance company and have conversations or go into a lower level car dealership like a Hyundai or a Honda and start having conversations around, you know, here's where we are and this is the future. Can we can we set up a meeting in six months so I can show you our trajectory um, and and invite them to things that you're involved in in the meantime to start building those relationships but don't try to sell them off the bat wait to sell them till you have them alongside of your journey and they really really know what you're about and they see what your what your um content is and they see your key demographic uh really in it in its nature and, that, and that's again a great point because i think um you know people within companies that are dealing with the relationship with sponsors, they, you know, they look at, I think they go into it with a seller's mindset of, I got to go sell this within this one hour meeting, you know, and this goes beyond esports. This is, this is just yeah, that's general practice, you know, but it is a relationship yep. um, it is, you know, you don't just like, Oh, I got this one hour then I'm through with them. That right. kind of, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that, but it's even more resonated in this space because it is so new. Um, and you have that education gap. And again, and we've, we talk about this a lot on stream, but, you know, people aren't going to invest in something unless they know what it is. Mm -hmm. That sounds very basic, you know, and, but in a lot of times when you don't know, when you invest in something, you don't know what it is, you get burned. Right. So as you mentioned, you know, this false data that gets thrown around creates this, this situation where they, you know, these sponsors get burned and they're not coming back. Right. And they're, they're also telling people, yeah, it's all hype. Right. And that's the worst because it's not like we know the numbers are there. Right. It's not all hype. It's just, um, you know, a lot of people over promise and under under deliver in every single industry. So we're starting to see that now. I was at CS, uh, CES in Vegas last week and I was talking to a, a gentleman who has been a gamer and doing business in gaming. He's um, he advises and um, and partners with you know, like ESL and these larger entities, he works a lot of events, but he's been a gamer for a really long time. And, and he's nervous about some of these entities coming out and over promising and under delivering because it makes what they've worked so hard to become mainstream. Um, it, it hurts, it hurts their feelings, really. I mean, it's like, man, we've worked so hard, you know, he's worked for 10 years in this industry super passionate about it and now it's finally becoming mainstream and and um and people are taking advantage you know they're they're coming in with dollars and they're creating companies they think they're going to get a big rate of return on something and they're you know they're they're not tricking sponsors but they're not being 100 percent transparent so transparency to me i think is really important in this in this industry because you don't you really don't want to mess with this this community it's really a tight-knit community Right. And then the other thing, this is with any other industry, but this happens with, with hype and things like that, but this, it creates this financial arbitrage that creates a, I really hate using this word, but bubble and everyone's going to, you know, get, a, <laughs> but it creates this arbitrage of, you know, valuations and things like that. And it pulls it with it. And at some point people just look at it in the feel and everything's like, Oh, this is not right. Right. And I, heard, I know this is a basic explanation of market cycles and stuff, but that's literally what, happens in micro industries and things like that all the time over the last you know, number of decades you look at different situations so yeah, yeah. and esports is no different it can happen here yeah i mean sports betting esports bitcoin i mean those are like the three buzzwords of the lab of like those are literally the 2019 those are the three buzzwords of 2019 you heard it here first actually everyone hears it so but <laughs> 
it's hard because um, you're you have to go up against something that you wouldn't normally have to go up against in the industry. Um, I think that um, there's a lot of really great things that are happening in our industry that we need to celebrate also Um, that I mean, locally here um, I mentioned before the call of duty event is happening next weekend. So if there's any Minneapolis peeps on here who are, you know, really interested in esports or um, have a esports startup and they want sponsors and they're looking for brands to align, invite them to that event, let them see an esports event at that magnitude um, you know, Activision Blizzard is is producing that event, so it's going to be uh, a phenomenal event. It's the first one, so I'm, I can't completely overpromise it. But um, bringing them into that space and seeing an esports competition at a pro level will help get your clients there to understand what you're talking about within the space. Um, also, another. Um, event that's coming up in the Twin Cities is at Mystic Lake Casino with the Player Up Tournament. It's an amateur tournament that's happening in February. Um, They've done this a few times already. They're uh, doing them two times a year, and it's a phenomenal family-friendly event. It is awesome. It's uh, awesome for spectators. Um, There's also a lot of things to do to engage uh, if you're bringing your children. There's can plug in and rent a uh, controller and play video games. They have a bunch of old arcade games that are there. There's celebrity appearances. They're doing pros versus Joes again, I believe. I think last year at this time they had some of the Vikings players. I think Anthony Harris was um, of the Minnesota Vikings was playing um, NFL Madden against just someone who won a contest or somebody that was there. So it's really exciting to bring your your whole entire family into uh, into that space. So if you um, wanted to attend that, would be a really great a great event to attend. Well, that's all ages friendly because the Call of Duty event is not all ages. And I've sponsored a, I just sponsored a local Smash event. My brother's heavily heavily involved in the Super Smash Brothers community, the fighting game community. Yeah. Uh, they went out there, and it's a blast. It's fun. Like, you know, and then you, as a sponsor, if you put the sponsor hat on, you know, you, you need to go do that to feel and see what's happening in the grassroots. You want to start local, start grassroots. And then as you kind of work your way up as a sponsor, you kind of learn more about what, what, what terminology and just relationships and actual with actual players. And actually, you know, it's funny because I was there and, um, and they're like, oh, the sponsor's actually here. Cause a lot of sponsors don't show up. They're not even at the event. So yeah. they're like all these looks and stuff, you know, and it's just, you know, get involved, right? Get involved and, um, and actually get to learn. And then that, that's going to help you evaluate on your side as the sponsor. Is this a right fit for me to get involved? Right. So we're coming up on a pretty hard stop here coming up. If you had a question uh, before we jump off here for Rebecca, just jam packed with information. Look, we could again, I said we could be on for like eight hours straight. <laughs> we probably could like no joke. Um, a lot of really good stuff. Um, especially from the startup space. I just think that the the conversation needs to continue um, and building your, like you said, building your community. You talk about your text group, you know, with other entrepreneurs and things like that, just continue building that out. Um, You know, as a, you know, if you, if you're in a startup and involved, you just need that support Um, because every, I mean, like you said, every day is a grind. Everything is a, every day is a battle um, and it's kind of a controlled chaos kind of thing. And to be able to do that is to have that network around you. So continue to do that. So I appreciate everybody being here. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for jumping on the Level of Experience live stream. Um, Really do appreciate it.
Uh, was there any kind of? I, I did have a. I had a loaded question for the end, if that was okay. But yeah, I had something for you. I had something for you. So I had best piece of advice you can give an esports startup when it comes to building their brand. Um, the best piece of advice on building a brand. Uh, I would say make your logo kick ass. Make make your logo something that everybody wants to wear. Don't, um, I mean, there's a lot of really ugly clip arty stuff out there. So, um, and, and if I can add to that, a brand is more than a logo. So thinking about, you know, textures and what you, what you believe in your brand is, is really your belief system. So what are your values? What do you believe in? What are you trying to change in the world? What, what are you evoking? Um, of change in the world and really tie that into your brand, write a manifesto. Um, yeah, but so much garbage, so many garbage logos, friends. <laughs> That's it. But it's, it's so tangible, but it's so real. Like that is a, is a very big deal. And as you mentioned, you know, with merch and things like that, yeah, I don't have that in mind as the logo going on merch, I guess. You right. Know. And I get it. Like not everyone can afford to come to an agency like ours and have them build out their brand. If you're a startup, don't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, don't do that. There's so many tools and resources out there. I think, I mean, I've used, there's pro athletes I've worked with that we've created their camp and clinic logos utilizing 99 designs and they're great. And they're, they've turned out wonderful, you know, so make, um, make a marked investment, but don't, don't kill yourself financially to try to create a really solid brand. When you're viable, when you are vested, when you have investment dollars in and you have a marketing budget, then you reach out to an agency like mine to help you really um, flush out your entire brand identity, your marketing materials, your go-to-market communication strategy, all of those things will come in due time. But if you are a true bootstrap startup, um, make it cool. Don't, you know, don't, don't be a throwaway. Don't have your, you know, your brother do it on in clip art or in PowerPoint, spend the time and energy to do it. But I wouldn't spend more than a thousand dollars on a logo. And I'll, I'll post those in chat, but if you're just kind of hearing and didn't hear it, so 99 designs, look, I use Fiverr. You can yeah. actually sub it out. That's not Fiverr. I'll post that. Thanks for posting that. Gil, I do use Fiverr. C-A-N-V-A. -A. I don't know if anybody here has used Canva, but Canva's great. You took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say yeah. Canva. So I used Canva for things I can do, which pretty limited because <laughs> I'm not a design person. So if I can't do it on Canva, C-A-N-V-A, -A, yeah. then I'll go and do that on, or I'll go on Fiverr. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's very affordable. You find, you basically get aligned with uh, subbing it out to someone else. Uh, and it actually makes a lot of sense in situations. So yeah, for sure. But well, hey, we're gonna call it quits. I really appreciate you guys in chat. There was really good questions, uh, very poignant, very to the uh, you know a lot of details in those questions. Appreciate you guys spending the time here, Rebecca. Thank you for being here as well. Thanks. Um, again, we could be here forever, so we have to like <laughs> cut it off, right? So really do appreciate it. Uh, this will be repurposed and things like that. Uh, but if you guys have questions for Rebecca, what's I tell you, what, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you on what? Um, LinkedIn is the best way. So there's only one of me um, in the world. So uh, there's not a lot of Lingawas out there. So connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a private message. Um, request to connect. Let me know that that um, you're connecting with me because you heard me on on Chris Reed's Level Up Experience, and I'll be more than happy to to follow up with you and and see if there's um, ways that I can connect you within the industry. All right, guys, get to work on your image for your company. <laughs>
<laughs> That's the message. Y'all have a good one. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you, Rebecca, for everything. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for all your support and see you on the next one.